do some ministry that you can be involved in. Um, the youth always need someone to help. They meet on Wednesdays at 6.30 to 8.30, and it's a great time to really influence and mentor some youth. So we want to do this during this whole series. The gospel, we believe the gospel is about movement, and it talks about us being involved in that movement. So we want everyone not to just sit in, the moving, in a non-moving chair. We want them to get into a moving ministry. How's that sound? Sound like, I sound like Vanna White. Anyway, so we want you to get ahead and be able to move. So we're introducing ministries to you this whole time. Next week, we're going to talk about children's ministry. But if anybody's interested in going to camp, anyone's interested in volunteering for youth, um, it's challenging because they act like they don't hear you. Because I was a youth pastor for many years. I didn't have a problem with the youth. I had a problem with the parents. Parents didn't want me to preach that stuff for some reason. Parents do stuff at you. Because they said, you'll tell my children that. I said, if I don't tell them that now, they're going to be, not be an asset. They're going to be a liability. So anyway, we want you to get involved. So with Pastor Sammy and also uh, uh, Stephanie, get with them at the church. They have applications at our welcome desk. Say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about joining a hand. You know, bringing a meal can help out some youth. Because last time I checked, youth don't have any money. And the parents are struggling trying to keep them with some money, right? You go to school. They go to high school. Isn't high school expensive? Right? Middle school, isn't it expensive? So anything you can do to lend a hand. And I want to challenge those youth that, who are coming on Wednesday nights, who might come once in a while. You know something? Courage is going beyond all the peer pressure. And showing up and saying, I'm going to live, I'm going to bury my life, I'm going to give my life totally to Jesus. And really, I look for young kids that have courage. Not for those who might want to just back out. But if you're a parent and you know your kids, your children, your teenagers need to be in the presence of God, it's okay to be the way we grew up. Church was not an option when I grew up. Even when my parents didn't go, it wasn't an option. I had to go. And they checked on me, too, if I went. I used to go to Don and try to have some free food. They would find out I didn't go. My dad never went to church, but he knew I had to go to church. Why? You're helping them. You're loving them to be in the presence of God. And guess what? Other people can do something you might can't do, and it's okay. We're going to talk about that today, how we're a team. If you've been coming for a while, this is what we call our gospel. And we're going through, systematically going through the book of Philippians. It's an amazing book. It's one of the personal books that Paul wrote. If you want to uh, know, we last week, we, last two weeks, we spent time in chapter 1. Now we're moving into chapter 2. And as we go into chapter 2, we're going to start seeing some things. Last week, we talked about the faith of the gospel. And it talked about us coming together as a, of a believers, walking in faith, walking with God in the midst of tar- trials and, ter- and turmoil and still having joy because the ultimate goal is not to b- have success. The ultimate goal is to be with Jesus. We talked about that. And this week, we're gonna, I mean, this week we're going to talk about two things, the attitude of Christ, excuse me, and the example of Christ. As Paul is pressing into the, into the church because he loved the Philippian church, he founded the church. They had some issues with division in the church. We'll get down more of that later on. And he's taught and impressed them about unity and humility. And he talks about one thing I call the showstopper of life. The showstopper of life. This thing 
if we, and we all walk in it because we're all here, will stop, we'll stop your motion in the gospel. This one thing. And all the other things flow out of it. The one word, when we go to chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the one word that will stop us from being all that Christ called us to be, to be the greatest husband in the world, to be the greatest wife in the world, to be the greatest employee in the world, this one thing stops each and every one of us, which stopped in the very beginning. This one word we're going to tackle today is called pride. Pride. We all struggle with it because we're taught it every day we go to go somewhere. Be the man. Be the woman. Pick yourself up. Do this. Do that. You don't need help. All those things. Love yourself. Have great self-esteem. And we get poured into all these things about pride. And the gospel takes it completely opposite. If you don't, you're not careful, when I was reading this, you can walk in pride and don't even know it. It's like bad breath. You're the last one to know you got it. Until <laughs> someone tell you. What? Go like this. <sighs> Just kidding. So as we cross over into chapter 2, this is what we're going to attack, this word pride. Because we all suffer in it. America suffers in it. We had a rough week. I know we had a very rough week. And I saw some people on the news. A lot of people got hurt. And I saw people act like that problem had affected them so bad that it was all about them. And you didn't die. Your family didn't die. And they were like, you don't know how it happened to me. Nothing. You don't even live there. But pride will tear us up and keep us from being all that Jesus had called us to be. Because we live in West Texas, don't we? Aren't we proud? I was able to go to the, um, to the, uh, one of the, um, oh, Junior Achievement breakfasts the other day. And I grew up as a young man, you get up and you said the Pledge of Allegiance. And I like that. Today they start trying to take it out of school, that in prayer. Well, after we did the Pledge of Allegiance, we did the Pledge to the Texas flag. I didn't know we did that. That's amazing. We're so proud we got, we say allegiance to our flag. Wow. Now, I'm, I'm from the big city of New York. We're proud and arrogant, but we don't say nothing to the flag. We don't even have a flag. We got a flag with a bear on it. Doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> but we're a proud people. And then you're in West Texas. We're proud West Texans, right? Don't you tell me what to do. I don't need any help. You're failing. I don't need any help. I'll fail on my own, right? And that's what we're going to talk about today, pride. Before we cross over into that, I didn't finish up on chapter 1, verse 27. You'll see Paul says something about striving together as a team. The word strive in the Greek means it's an athletic word. And when you look at that, striving side by side. Paul really told about that church, they're a type of a team. Teamwork. You heard, you heard old lingo. Teamwork makes the dream work. All those things. Yes, that's great. That's good. But he was talking about how they were a team. The church of Philippians, the Philippian people were a team. And how you need a team to do anything that God calls us to do. We can't do anything alone. The way God had wrote the Bible and the way Jesus came and, and the message of the gospel, it is not an isolated sport. 
We have to be together. Remind me in 1992 when we had what we called the dream team. If you, some of you weren't even alive, did I'm sorry. And they had all the superstars in the NBA because we haven't won an uh, Olympic champ- championship for so long. And they had Magic Johnson, they had Michael Jordan, and they had one guy, Christian Leitner, he was a college student. The rest were pros. And they were beating guys by 40 to 50 points. So you guys can go to Wikipedia if you don't know what I'm talking about because Wikipedia makes the world smaller and it makes us old guys look younger. So you can go if you don't know what I'm talking about. And uh, they never lost. They beat every team at least by 30-plus. But they did lose. No one publicized it. They lost one game. They lost one game in practice. If you know the great one of their coaches, knew there was an issue with the team. Superstars. It's all about me, all about my talent, all about my stats. So they played a bunch of college kids. I think one of the guys was Chris Webber was on there. And they beat them. And they didn't put it in the news. They beat the pants off them. And Chuck Daly let it happen. Because Chuck Daly saw one thing. I had a bunch of individuals, but they weren't a team. And when they had an eye-opening experience, they started doing something that was unusual for superstars these days. They started preferring one another. They started dropping their stats so the other guy can do what he does best. It doesn't matter about me hitting 50 points. I want you guys each to hit 10 points. That makes 50. Because each team has 10 hands. And when they got a hold of that, no one was able to stop them. It wasn't a bunch of individuals come, I mean, a bunch of individualists coming to, the, to a building. It was they became a team. And they thought about the church with all the different gifts and the talents that we have for one another, all the things that God has gifted us and gave us and, and the talents we have. If we can all come together as one in unity, I don't think there's, I know there's nothing that can stop us. We wouldn't have to worry about bad weeks. Because the church will turn a bad week into a good week. A church will turn the whole city upside down. When we start to walk together in unity and humility and start thinking about others and dropping our own stats. It's not about being about famous. It was about making Jesus famous and then making other people famous. <laughs> when I started reading, I said, wow, that's what the gospel of motion looks like. And that's what Paul's talking about. He starts in 27. We go down to two, chapter 2. He talks about unity. Humility and others. Those are the three key words we're going to go through. Think about it. Talent. You don't meld it together. Everyone on this row, we have, I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven different gifts. They all came together and complement one another. And they are doing it now on campus. They will change the world. How about in our houses, in our jobs, our workplace? People are screaming out, screaming out for something real, screaming out for something authentic, screaming out not for hate, but for real what authentic love looks like. And God says, I gave it to the church to display me here on earth. Wow, that's exciting, especially in this place, because we're all from different places. 
Because y'all, some of you coming, this place is overwhelming. We got so many different people, so many different music styles. Don't you just love it? Some raise their hands and do this in worship. Some do, I am not getting up at all. Some sit there and that's fine. But it's amazing. Don't let it scare you. It makes it fun. Suppose everyone looked like me. I'll get on my own nerves. <laughs> now, some of y'all brothers need to get the dew so y'all will be anointed. <laughs> That's uniformity, but I deal with the unity also. So cut your hair off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's amazing. And then Paul said this, that we have, if we do this with the mind of Christ, and the word means attitude of Christ. And he talks about there's a pattern for living as believers. And in the book of Philippians, that's the pattern of what we're supposed What does people look like who are in Christ doing God's work together? A pattern. And it defies all the patterns that we've learned. In college, during my last few years, it was interesting how we went from doing individual projects to we started to do corporate projects and how we start off, this is great, and then you find out who was pulling their load and who wasn't. And it made us come together and get this project done. And the teacher would sit back and watch us. So all the personalities come out because you got the one that's interject that knows everything. You got the one who's too shy to say anything. And you got the ones in between. And now, beginning of the semester, you're like, I'll just do it myself. Go away. You know, and then we had to come together for the project to why they were doing that? Because they learned something that America's becoming so individualistic. People that we don't know how to work together anymore. That's why people quit jobs. Not because the job is hard. They don't know how to work with other people. So let's go to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, so is this. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ. Remember, this is a book of joy. There will be no joy apart from Christ. Everything we're talking about is being in, a people in Christ. The word if, what Paul is talking to the audience here, he's saying there is. There is encouragement in Christ. Any comfort from love, any petition, uh, participation in the spirit, any affections and sympathy. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Who are these guys? I come from a city, and I used to ride subways. And when someone fell out in the middle of the subway, guess what we did? Bam! He said, that guy hit the floor kind of hard. Why? You know why? Because we didn't have time for that. Can care less. I got to get to work. You falling out on my shift? I'm sorry, I got to go. We were created like that, individualists. And Paul's talking about have the same mind. He's talking about unity, humility, and others. Think of clearing others over yourself. Because, you know, when you grow up in college, when you go to school, it's all about your career, isn't it? My career, 
my dream, my, my, versus someone says, do you want to have everything? Zig Ziglar says this, you want to have a great dream? You want to live your dream? Help other people reach their dream. That is radical today. You mean you care more for them than yourself? That's what humility says. You know, we wouldn't have traffic jams if everyone would prefer each other getting in line. The zipper effect, you're not getting in front of me. And we're going through the same gate. I'll see you at the light. How about that? Preferring one another. The key word in here, others is the key word. Others. Think about others that you know are less fortunate than you are. That's why we said this week you have an opportunity. We're using this time as an opportunity for those t- the town of West Texas to bring, just bring some stuff, donations up here, food, whatever it is, and we're going to take it over to TSTC and partner with them. And we're, we're going to, guys, because you guys were so fantastic at our mission offering last, last, uh, this last month. You gave over $1,600. We have a surplus to give money to the Red Cross for that town. Come on, somebody, because you're generous, because we're thinking about others first. And when you come down, you come to our, our church, you'll say, how come you don't do that on your own? I said, no, we want to partner in what God's already doing, and we don't want to take credit for it. We just want God to be glorified through it. And that's what it is. When we're talking about the book of Philippians, these opportunities start springing up. Now, those are bad, but that's where God works and does amazing work. A truly humble person knows himself, accepts himself, and yields himself to Christ to be a servant and to use what he has for the glory of God and the good of others. The good of others. Romans 12.3 says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself, himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Know who you are. Know what your limitations are. And when we're walking with the gospel and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, there aren't no limitations. That's why whenever we do something, he gets all the credit because from, apart from him, we can accomplish what? Nothing. But be glad who you are. And be, here's the greatest thing in success, I call it. Because everybody, it's a crazy word. Is knowing what you can't do. Knowing what you cannot do. And then you surround yourself with people who can do. That's teamwork. I'm not good at third base. I was hardly any good in center field. Know where they put me? On the bench as a cheerleader. <laughs> it's a little offending, but I took the lower route. I did very well. I could turn with the balls, but I couldn't see it, right, because I had a problem with my eyes. But being taking the lower level and lifting other people up, isn't that the attitude of Jesus? He came from heaven down to earth to, to die on the cross for who? Others. Others' orientation. Others oriented us. Others first. Andrew Murray says this, humility is that grace that when you know you have it, you have lost it. 
here's what's interesting. I meet people all around the world lately that do great things for God. And I always hear this from folks. They say, you know, I sat down to the guy who just uh, started a movement in, in, uh, in, in uh, India, planted over 70 churches. I was sitting next to him. You know what they'd say? He said, I didn't even know it because he doesn't look like someone who would do that. What does someone look like who's working with God? The way we look at it has to be clean, cut, boisterous, good to go. Like Jesus, hey, I'm Jesus, got the halo on my head, serve me. Right? That's what they were looking for. Jesus didn't, he didn't even show up in Jerusalem. He went to Nazareth, the worst place to become a king. And then you're going to be a carpenter? Oh, my gosh. God, what are you thinking? I'm thinking about I need someone who's going to lay their life down and serve mankind. And he doesn't have to, even the Bible says he doesn't look desirable to look at and not look the part. Don't we kill ourselves trying to look good? Don't we? Now, you know, ladies, you got to put stuff on, I understand. But don't we, I mean, there's some the pressure to look like who? I told my wife, now, I'm getting older. I don't want to offend anybody. I remember when ladies did their own hair. I'm like, that ain't theirs. I'm sorry. It, I just, that doesn't look like their hair. I know. I'm really crossing into it now. If she was here, she would say, Rich, don't go there. And I see guys trying to pump themselves up. Well, your frame ain't interested in pumping yourself up. Got a six-pack. How long do you think you're going to have that six-pack? We live in a world called gravity. It's going down. <laughs> you want to keep it up? Whatever you put up there, you got to keep it up. Because when you turn about 30 or 40, stuff starts to, whoa. <laughs> and my dream is, here's my, my, my dream, that I can see my feet at the age of 70. I don't care about six-pack, forget that. I just want to see my feet at the age of 70. <laughs> when you talk about humility, those who walk unassuming, non-voiceless, just doing what Jesus did. No one takes credit for it except Jesus. And we live in a world where it's all about me. It's all about me. What am I going to be? What is my calling? Now, what is God's plan for your life? See, it's easy. To fall, we all fall into it. Because it's Christ first, others next. Christ first, others next. And I learned this. The more I'm loyal and serve other people, I look up and say, how did I get so far? And I'm not interested in, my, in the, the goal line. Because the goal line is the end of his life. I'll either be in heaven or I'll be in the other place. That's the goal line. We can't be centered out. We have to be centered outside ourselves. The center of our world cannot be us. It has to be Jesus. We don't want self-esteem. We want Christ-esteem. Now, there's two types of pride. 
There's the one that says, I don't need Jesus. I got it all on my own. And there's the other ones. When we say, hey, man, I see that calling in you. Oh, brother, I can't do that. I can't. Ah, there's no way I can do that. There's no way. I'm not, I'm not called. So, well, you got pride that you know more than God? Call that false pride. Someone sees something calling something out. I can't do that, brother. I, you, why not? I'm not good enough. You're stuck on yourself that you don't know. If God says you're good enough, you're good enough. That's false pride. Because that means what are we doing? We're calling ourselves about what, more than what God knows about us. We know more about ourselves than God does. It sounds great, humbling, but it's pride. If God says you can win your neighborhood, start this stepping. Don't find other people. I don't know if that's your personality or not. It has nothing to do with personality. It's about Christ in you. That's the two types of people you deal with. Those, I don't need, I can do it on my own. I'm gifted. I'm called. And there's the other one, well, I don't even know, brother. And there's the ones you don't recognize who are doing great things. It's not about them. It's about Jesus. And you know when it's great? That's when it's joyful because you can't take credit for anything. That is great. You can't take ownership of anything because it's the Holy Spirit working through you. Make sense? Second one is, God doesn't leave us by self called the example of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Some of y'all say he had no reputation. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth. And under the earth, that's cool. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. If you know about this book, they call this what we call a hymn of Christ. Christ's hymn, when Paul wrote this, it's a hymn of Christ. And one of the greatest things you see in this hymn, it says this. Basically, make sure I got my spot. Um, it's a pattern of increasing humiliation and increasing exaltation. There's seven things that took Christ down, and there's seven things that lifted him up. And God called, that's the pattern that we're supposed to live our lives for. It says he emptied himself out. Remember, Christ was fully God and fully man. What he did, he emptied out his privilege. He was privileged enough to call anything down from heaven and make a change. But he didn't walk with a privilege. You want to know someone's character? Give them privileges. We have no problem handling responsibility when we're getting paid. But give a man or a woman privileges and see how they handle those. And most people fall from privileges, not responsibility. Because you give you some freedom. He said, I'm relinquishing, relinquishing my privileges. And doing it. And I'm one with God, but I'm not going to grasp it. And you're saying, what makes sense? What sense does that make? Well, you got to remember, he's the second Adam. The first Adam in Genesis chapter 3. When they were doing great, they were humble. God says, do whatever you want in the garden. Just don't touch this tree, which is, rep represents my authority. Don't touch my authority. Don't touch the tree like you tell your kids. Don't do that. 
And you say, why you do that? I don't know, right? They focus on the thing they can't do versus the freedom they had they can do. They had all the freedom. Didn't have to think much. He said, walk with God, increase. The, God, the, the goal was to spread the garden around the world, not kick them out of the garden. But what happened was, Satan came, same way he fell from heaven in Ezekiel 28. I will, I will be like God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Look what happened here. Had nothing to do how great the apple or the fruit looked. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and they'll be like God, knowing good and evil. I can grasp and be like God. I can grasp and be like Donald Trump. I can grasp. I can grasp godliness and know everything. That's what's killing us today. Jesus had the opportunity to grasp. He said, I'm not grasping. I'm going to lower myself. Think about it. That's where pride comes. I want. I'm grabbing. I'm going after this thing. And we've been taught this. Versus I'm going after God who's going to give me this thing. It's crazy. It's just a a turn. So when he said he wouldn't grasp, he was just, there's a new man in town. And I'm not going to fall like the first Adam. I can be like God. Pride. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I can be a superstar. And you know you can be in Christ. Even when you're doing work and no one sees it and no one commends you on it, guess who sees it and commends you on it? Our Father. Even in the roughest parts, he sees it and he commends you on it. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We read something last week. When did we do this and when did we do that? When did we do that for you, Jesus? Because you did this for the least of me. That means I, I watched when you did all that. I watched when you laid down your dreams and helped someone grab their dreams. And now I watch how I bring your dreams to pass. Because you're amazing how you start with your own dream and then you start serving and God will give you his dream. That was your all the time. It's crazy, but it's God. He said, nothing. And you got to look at Jesus. In John chapter 1, he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in heaven and came down and took on the form of a man. And more, he went and lowered himself. And he didn't just stay of a man. He became a servant. One of the greatest husbands in the world is one how to outserve their, hus- their wives. It's great to be a man, but if you don't know how to serve your wife, you're just marginal at best. He went from man to being a servant. Wow, it's amazing. From heaven to earth, from glory to shame, from master to servant, from life to death. That's the pattern of a believer. If it doesn't cost us anything, it's just cheap. And you know the joy about it? Because you get to sit down and say, in my greatest day, I couldn't have did any of that. In my greatest day, I wouldn't even thought of that. And I say, thank you, Jesus. This is a joy because I am just not good at this. But he is. 
not discounting myself much, but giving him more glory. Because Jesus came here, he said this, he willingly humbled himself so he can lift us up. You ever feel down and out, and you start singing and praising God, and all of a sudden, what happens? Man, this is good stuff. I don't know what I was tripping about. Why? Because you start, you're humbling yourself and say, God, I can't do this on my own. And I'm going to sing praises to your name. And everything I'm thinking about, I get lifted up. It says this, the flesh, the word became flesh and wrung him out. He came down to be with us. What a move. Didn't have to. He became a servant. Matthew 20. 28 says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for what? Many. God came in the flesh, decided not to do this. Josh, the music better be good today, brother. And you know, this helps team, you better put this air conditioner up, man, because I am not coming back. This air conditioner is off. And I love my seat. Better know about sitting in my seat next week. I'm not coming back. And by the way, I'm not, like, I'm not liking that back wall. Can y'all paint that? He said, you wouldn't even recognize Jesus if he walked in the building. He'd be at the front door. Welcome to Grace Point Church. He'll be in the nursery taking care of the children. He'll be everywhere else. You'll say, that guy is always busy. Or that person's always, who is that person? I just called to do what I came to do. And if our king of kings, our God, became man, how much more, how much more, church, do we do that? And he gave us a pattern. We have to have the attitude. It's not about me. And we have the example to follow. Jesus blew their mind before he left in John chapter 13. Blew their mind. He says this. Guys, I'm about to die. And what does mankind do? LJ, <laughs> he's about to die. I guess we're going to be in charge. Me and you are going to be in charge, okay? Because he's going to kick the bucket, so it's just me and you. And the other 10, that go get mom. Mom will help us be, get that position, okay? We're in there. When he's dead, we got it. Rivalry. They were conceited. How many times was Peter conceited? Not by me, Lord. Peter got rebuked four times after he became, said that you're the Christ. What a, what a start. He did this. Took off his robe. Their last supper. And he washed their feet. Now, a lot of times we do this in America. We use it pride way. It's the person we're honoring. He became a servant and washed their feet. And they weren't sitting in chairs. They were laying down. He washed their feet. He said, you call me great, you call me teacher, you call me this. But the greatest one in the room is the one who serves. It's not about getting the position. It's about serving that which I have. I've come down from heaven to show you how to do it. And you get down to John chapter 13 through 15 and 5, giving you an example that you should also do just as I've done to you. reason why I use the scripture, because I talk about teamwork. And as a church, in those days when someone went out, they would use the servant to clean the feet of those coming in the house, hospitality. 
He became the servant. Let me wash your feet. When you wash someone's feet, it's, not, it's a lot to do with a lot of symbolism, but we make it, in the West, we mess it up. You actually say, you know, I care about where you've been. Ooh. And I want to help you to relax. I care where you walk last. He says, you do it to one another. When the church starts doing that to one another, not the subject of washing feet, but I care if you make it or not. I care if you graduate. I care if you come up and do great things. And you start saying, well, as you're caring for me, I start caring for you. So I don't have to care for myself. And everything becomes even at the cross. We care that things are okay. We learn this in Promise Keepers, also in men's ministry. You want to love, serve your wife. That will end all, all the problems. But we care, he says. Washing each other's feet. And I leave you the example to do that. And if you get down to verse 17, he said, blessed are those who do that. Can you take me to 17? Because it gets back into the joy. I know I'm throwing something extra at you, brother. Blessed are those who do that. The word blessed, happy. Happy. Have you noticed it when you help someone in line? How do you feel when you're done? Man, I feel pretty good. Why? Because it's in our nature. If you do these things, blessed are you if you do them. Happy. Faith walked out. Because you have the attitude and you have the example. In Christ, I care. And in Christ, I learned business. No one cares in business except how to get ahead. I care that you're in the hospital. I care. Sit down. Let me serve you. That is radical, isn't it? Because it's like, man, that's the gospel. Because Jesus cared about you over 2,000 years ago. He cared. God cared in the garden. That's why he came down in Seattle. What'd you do? Like he already knew the answer. What did you do? What are you doing, son? And, he, and they went with the mess. And he says, I got a plan because I care. Everyone stand. Then you get down to the end. Name above every name. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. That means unity. One way or the other. Here's the question I want to leave you with. Have you humbled yourself to him? Because I, I love a building and we're working on it. But the church cares. The church mobilizes. The church is in motion. When you find your people, you find your motion, you find your mission. Do you care beyond all the pain? Will you get hurt? Yeah, we're people. You ought to know our condition. We're no good without Jesus, are we? So if you get hurt, it's, I'm sorry for other people. So I tell people oh, when I go downtown, talk about 
uh, reconciliation. We got hurt. We got to get over it so our kids won't get hurt. Do you care? Those in your campus, those in your workplace who don't know Jesus, do you care for one another? That's the toughest thing to do is start caring. You know, that's radical today because everyone, go get your check and don't worry about anybody else. Right, let me get mine. If I get mine, then I'm going to help everyone. Say, when I get mine, I'm going to help everyone else. And you know you're lying. Then I'm going to help everyone else. Then I get more than mine. If you walked in here under some pain, humble enough to give it to Jesus. I can't do this. Come back tonight. We're going to talk about being empowered. And we believe in people who need to be healed. Some of y'all been walking with sickness too long. Have the faith to lay hands on you with some oil. We're going to splash some oil around here and get you whole. You don't know who the, who the Holy Spirit is. You'll find out tonight. That's who we are as a people. This is calm for me. And I'm going to grow some hair tonight. Just kidding. Jesus cares for you. And again, the book of Philippians is an amazing book because it's talking about being in motion. We don't do well not doing, being in motion. In fact, you always, you always hear this with kids. It's too quiet in that room. They must be what? Up to what? Most of the people get in trouble aren't doing anything. We do that with our kids, but as adults, I'm not doing anything. That means you got too much to talk about. When you're working, here or outside here, you're doing something for other people. It wears you out. It will wear you out. But guess what? The power of the Holy Spirit will fill you up. Because I know it wore Jesus out. I'm God. And I got to put up with this. But he even had that attitude. I want to do this because I love them. As we close today, if you come in with anything, a burden, don't leave here with it. These people love God and they love to pray for you. And tonight at 7, I mean, sorry, 7, 6 o'clock. You show up at 7, I won't be here. No, just kidding. 6 o'clock. Come on out as we jam together and engage the Spirit of God. Because some of y'all need it. It's been a rough week. I tell you what, fill it up with grace. Father, I just thank you this morning.